When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, welcome, welcome everybody to the Hockey Think Tank podcast brought to you by the HockeyThinkTank.com website for all players, parents, and coaches to go to get a little bit of education and a little bit of inspiration regarding the greatest game on the planet. What an episode we have for you guys here today. We are bringing on former Cornell goaltender and now current Quinnipiac Bobcats women's team. We have Amanda Alessi on the podcast and what a podcast this was, but just wait because her hockey credentials are just as fantastic. So she grew up in London, Ontario, uh, played for Canada for some international competitions, U18s, before going on to play four years at Cornell University, where three of those four years as a goalie, she had a sub two goals against average, including her junior year, 1.11 goals against average. Absolutely insane. Uh, but from then she became a coach and now is coaching with Quinnipiac as an assistant coach there. So awesome, awesome player back in the day and phenomenal coach now. So this was a really, really awesome episode before we do get over to Maz. Amanda Mazada is her maiden name. So that's how I know her. So when we talk to her as Maz, that's that's what I've called her since I've known her. But uh, before we do get over to Maz, let's bring on the talent of the podcast, Jeffrey J. Hulavecchio Vex. What's shaking today, dude? Not much, Brosif. Just uh, another day getting people jacked and mentally ready for the season here. It's uh, coming down to the wire for my guys in the gym. So it's uh, like the last couple weeks, last week, last month for most of my younger guys. Pro still got like a month and a half till NHL training camp. So this is uh, this is go time for me. So it's super fun. Yeah. August is the best. August yeah. is like you can almost like smell it. The seasons yeah. around the corner, you know what I mean. Yeah. You like you get into the rink, and it just smells a little different. Like there's a little bit yep. more enthusiasm. Like the the regular season when it starts to get serious is right around the corner. And oh man, nothing better. Nothing but just better. that anticipation, you know, that anticipation, yeah. which is also like. So I don't know how many podcasts ago. It was probably 200 podcasts ago. We had Reed Lowe on the podcast. Ah, love him. You know, and he was talking about how important it was to like get away from the game in the summer. So you like come back and you actually miss it, you know, as opposed to like being in the rink all day, every day during the summer. And then you get yeah. to this time of year and it's like not that exciting. It's just like another day, another dollar. Right. I, I think that's like, so like, you know how it goes once it gets like closer to the season, if you've taken a little bit of time away, and and then you get back. It's just so exciting. Chomping at the bit, chomping at the bit, like just ready. And, and your skates at the end of the summer, then super dialed and you're, you're, you know, dialing in your habits and details and all that. And it's, it's like real, you know, instead of just like, 
Oh, I'm skating for the 18th time this week, like an idiot. Don't even want to be out here. And now I'm creating <laughs> bad habits and my back sore because I'm on the ice for two straight hours every day. Like, don't be an idiot. Don't be an idiot. Take some time away. <laughs> don't be an idiot. That's going up on your wall next. <laughs> yeah. Well, I say that to the guys all the time. Um, well, just, I, I want to give a little bit of a backstory of how this came about. So Maz listened to our episode. It was, I believe, 260 where we talked about just the two of us being hard to play against and what that means. And so she reached out to me and she said, Hey, you know, here at Quinnipiac, we actually have like markers that we use and we have stats that we take on being hard to play against. Like, would you want to talk about it? I'm like, absolutely. So that was like probably the whole second half of this conversation. And it was unreal. Like, I'm like just getting off that call with her. You and I were both like, we got better today. This was unreal. You guys are really, really, really going to take something out of this. And and again, like one of our goals, I think I said this at the end of the, of the conversation, but like one of our goals for this podcast is to give our listeners something that they can use in their life to make them better. Whether you're a coach, whether you're a player, whether you're a parent, this was that episode. This was the epitome of that episode, especially if you are a coach. Um, just so many tangible things that they do at Quinnipiac and so many little things that Maz was talking about that can make your team significantly better, not just from like a habits perspective of being hard to play against, but just their process and their preparation and what they do is really, really cool. And so I learned a lot today, Vex, I I know you did too. And I'm sure like all the listeners are going to feel that way too. Dude, I mean, especially the last couple minutes, like that just set me on fire because I think like the mental stuff, it, it proceeds, it has to proceed everything else, like, like goal setting and all this stuff. And it's not goal setting that we've got into, but reflection and, and some of these other things that they're doing that is so next level, like I, any business, any team, any organization, any sport could use this. And I literally guarantee you, they will immediately get better productivity out of their players, members, workers, whatever it is, like literally guarantee hundred percent guarantee. You'll get, you'll get more out of everyone and they'll give more to themselves. I just think that was so, so cool. I'm really excited for you guys to hear the last couple of minutes, obviously the whole thing, but especially the last couple of minutes, she's awesome. Yeah. yeah they're going to give more and then they're you know, going to be more baby. That's what you do. That's how you do it. (laughs) I like it. Well, uh, don't want to take up too much more time. Want to get over to this episode. So before we do, we got some people to thank. Want to thank our title sponsor, gel sticks, G E L S T X.com. Go there and get a discount on some weighted training sticks by using the coupon code. Think tank one word again, that's gel sticks.com G E L S T X.com. Jeffrey, want to thank train heroic that's the unbelievable app i've used to train thousands upon thousands of hockey players all over the world since co i won't say the rest of the word just kidding since covid um i'll say it i'm a (laughs) a rebel uh yeah want to thank them they're amazing if you're a team organization or player looking to train smarter and harder this season please reach out to me don't pay a terrible trainer don't go to crossfit i can help you for hilariously cheap videos of everything. Want to thank Train Heroic. They've helped me so much in my journey of trying to help hockey players train smarter and harder. I also want to thank Cured Nutrition. I also got to apologize. They were flying me out this weekend for a really cool thing with them in Colorado. Um, But one of my players, actually the captain of an NAHL team, one of my favorite clients, I've, I've known him for 
years and years he's worked with me. His name's Patrick Johnson. He actually just found out that his sister has stage four cancer. Um, so I had to uh, cancel my trip out to Colorado um, this weekend because I'm going to be emceeing a charity game that the family and some of their friends are putting on this weekend in St. Louis. So anybody out there listening to this podcast, uh, um, you know, please keep your eyes peeled on my Instagram um, cause I'll be putting up, you know, links and stuff like that to help the family out and cancer research and all that stuff. So, um, thank you to cure nutrition. Thank you for your understanding. If you're looking to try CBD, go to curenutrition.com, use my discount code GMBM. I use it twice a day, every single day. It keeps my brain fresh. Love it. Love it. Hey, send me that info too. I'll, I'll, I'll circulate it around too. That's- thank you. That's tough. And we'll put it in the show notes. Thank you. Um, at the bottom awesome, for guys. that Thanks, is Steph. listening. So um, yeah. Thank you also to icehockeysystems.com. These guys are unbelievable. This website is incredible if you are looking to up your game as a coach. Uh, so they have thousands of drills, whiteboard explanations of systems, habits, structure, all that kind of stuff. Um, just a phenomenal, phenomenal website. We have partnered with them to do a associations platform where you can get this for every single coach and every single parent within your organization because they have access to the Hockey Think Tank Parent Survival Guide. And uh, Ice Hockey Systems, unbelievable. Go to icehockeysystems.com. Check out the associations tab today. And thank you, thank you, thank you to all of our amazing, amazing listeners out there. We love you guys. You guys are going to absolutely love this podcast episode and I like Vex probably take notes. I would say like maybe have a notebook around for this one. Hundo P take those Hundo notes, P. baby. Hundo P. So uh, without further ado, here we go with Quinnipiac assistant coach, Amanda Alessi. We are so excited to have on this episode of the podcast. We're back to Hamden, Connecticut, Quinnipiac <laughs> University. We have assistant coach with the women's hockey team, Amanda Alessi. Amanda, how are you doing today? I'm great, guys. Thanks for having me. It's so weird calling you like Amanda or anything other than Maz right It now. is strange. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, good stuff. Well, Vex, we're going to have to talk a little bit about Cornell today. Is that okay? Obviously. It's part of my life now. <laughs> uh but uh maz we'll get to cornell and your cornell days in a little bit but first let's introduce you to the listeners and talk about how you fell in love with this great game of hockey Uh, you grew up in a hockey hotbed of london ontario so if you can like tell us a little bit about what uh, made you fall in love with this great sport for sure um i guess i was a bit of a late bloomer for a canadian i don't think i played organized hockey until I was eight. Um, my parents were both born in Italy, so we were not a hockey family. Um, my siblings didn't play. I just had some friends that played and, um, they basically needed more girls for their house league hockey team. So they were like, you play street hockey with us. Like, you know, come, come play hockey on ice and couldn't skate, like was not good by any means. And I'd always sort of like playing goalie as a street hockey goalie. So um, got my turn in net because it was still like, you know, the rotation, everybody plays goal. And I loved it because I didn't have to skate anywhere. And our team got our first shutout and our first win. So I was like, this is great. I'm going to stay right here. Everybody else was thrilled because they didn't have to go in net. Um, so, yeah, started started off there. Um had the luxury of not really having a a crazy hockey family. So it was just like this fun new thing for everybody to come and come and watch. Um, But yeah, I guess 
was you know decent at it so eventually made the jump to to travel and competitive hockey and um yeah always played competitive soccer too growing up um finally let that go before college um but yeah I was pretty pretty clueless in terms of where hockey could take me um I was just playing because it was fun and my friends were doing it um and yeah as you know you you get older you get into high school you realize you know you're you're kind of good at something and um yeah it turned into eventually some you know U.S. universities reaching out and um, like a you know Team Ontario invites and um, eventually a U18 team with Team Canada and um, an opportunity to play at Cornell. So yeah, the rest is kind of history. Then it turned into Hell my yeah. full time job, which is wild. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's good. Well, I, I want to ask you as somebody from Canada who was like relatively just uneducated about the process of making it to high level hockey, particularly, you know, mm-hmm. college hockey, which is, I think Olympics for women is, is at the apex. And then, you know, division one hockey is, is right there under it. Um, I, I feel like the question that I get the most from parents of, of boys and of girls is kind of like, how do I get there? <laughs> you know, like what, what's the path? Like what, are, what is this path that I need to take? So as someone who was relatively uneducated growing up in London, but now you are sitting on the other side of it as a division one assistant coach for a really, really good hockey program at Quinnipiac, like what would be like one or two pieces of advice that you would have for women that are coming up that do have a dream of playing at that level? Yeah, I think, you know, I think, things have changed. Like when I was coming through the process, oh, I was clueless and, you know, I played a ton of other sports, like right up until college, which, you know, I just don't think is the norm anymore. You know, like hockey is probably turned into maybe too much of an, uh, you know, an early specialization sport. Um, But I think it's a little bit necessary now, like when, you know, you hit 15, 16, like it sort of needs to become your, your full-time priority. Like, you know, when I was in high school, I like barely trained. I just played other sports, but now like, you know, young women are training and, you know, putting a lot of, a lot of time and effort into hockey. So I think like making that commitment at some point, you know, in your, in your high school years to say, you know, this is, this is what I want to do, you know, dive into, you know, some good training in the summer, um, you know, try and play on the, the, you know, the best team that, that suits you. I don't think by any means you need to drive two hours away to go play, you know, on a different team, but the the highest level that's offered in your area is, you know, what you should be striving for. And, um, yeah, like, you know, there's not hockey, women's hockey is growing, but there's not, it's not the same as men's hockey in terms of the number of, of young women playing. So, you know, we get to all the big tournaments, like, you know, I, I talked to our men's coaches and there's so many boys playing, like you could have prospect a, and then you could have prospect B that's like a clone of prospect a, on the men's side. Whereas like, you know, we see everybody. So I think if you're, you know, playing at the highest level that's available to you, um, you know, we're going to, we're going to see you play and and you're going to get, you know, opportunities if, if you're at that level. Um, it is definitely a little bit different than, than the route for the guys though, with the, you know, there's, there's girls that are, that are PGing or, or taking a red shirt year. Like it's definitely, more common, especially with the the COVID waiver year, which, you know, we're, we're near the tail end of that. Um, but it's different. There's no, you know, juniors that the, they go and play for two, three years, like the boys do. How, how was practice 
like growing up for you? Because something that I've witnessed just through like walking through the rinks and then right now this summer I've been training uh, um, 60 girls, three different AAA teams uh, on the weekends and they train with me online too. hit me up, ladies, to train with me online. Um, (laughs) So uh, (laughs) something that I feel like happens a lot with younger girls playing hockey and something I've heard from people like Nicole Hensley and some others is that coaches kind of like let off the gas on them a bit they don't uh they don't push them as hard is that something that that you found or is that was that not the case where you were growing up like just females in general compared to males or like yeah like female hockey play like you know hockey coaches usually hold the guys like pretty accountable if they mess up whatever you know skate them or anything like that and i've seen like with my own eyes coaches kind of like kid glove female hockey players when I'm training them, they, they don't want that, you know, they're in there to work, you know, but I see a lot of coaches like kind of standoffish with them, with the younger girls, not, not at the older, not professional or anything like that. And it always pisses me off because I'm like, hold them accountable. They all, and and, you know, I asked them all, I asked the 60 girls, the the first week that they came to me, every different team. I'm like, how many of you want to play division one hockey? Every single girl raised her hand immediately. There was no hesitation. I'm like, okay, I'm going to hold you to that standard then and set that precedent right away. And it's, there's been no problem with, with me holding them to that standard of what they said their goals are, but it is something that I've noticed in the women's game and uh, in the younger ages. So was that the case for you or no? I'm trying to remember. Like, I don't think so. So long ago. (laughs) I had like, like the, the coaches I can think of from when I was younger, but playing competitive hockey were, were guys that had come from coaching on the guy's side. So I don't like, you know, I'm thinking of my friend's dad that, you know, he was my goalie coach from when, like basically when I was eight until when I was like 16, 17, going off to college. And like he held me accountable. Like there were days I was like, crap, Phil's going to be a practice. Like this is going to be, you know, yeah. <laughs> a hard one, but like, and thank God he did. Like he was a huge piece of, of, you know, me getting to, to where I got to, but yeah, maybe it's just hit or miss with, with who's out there right, coaching each group. But I was lucky. I did have, you know, coaches that, that held us accountable and pushed us for sure. That's awesome. Yeah, it's great. Well, because of that, you got the chance to go to the greatest place ever in Cornell University, <laughs> and we missed each other by a year. So you came in the year after I graduated, and that was kind okay. of like when the women's program was starting its its rise. So yes. when I first got there, I think they won like three games, and <laughs> maybe my yep. freshman year, maybe four my sophomore year, and then Dougie Dara took over, and and kind of it started to, to elevate a little bit. And sorry to have to, mm-hmm. you know, now that you're with Quinnipiac, it's you're kind of talking about your rivals in a pretty good light <laughs> right now. But um, one of the things I wanted to ask you is, you know, on the men's side, Cornell hockey is kind of known for its team defense. Um, very structured and and just really tough to play against, relentless, um, and is always at the top of the country as it relates to um, you know goals against. This year they were top ten in goals for too. Hello, awesome. Wow. Um, anyway, but so in your years that you were at Cornell playing for Dougie and being modest, I, I'm sure a lot of this has to do with your play, but your goals against average for three of the four years was sub two. So one point something in your junior year, your goals against Vex, listen to this. Her junior year, her goals against average was 1.11. Jesus. <laughs> I had a lot. I had like the Olympic team playing in front of me, you guys. I know. <laughs> it so really helped. Outside of your modesty of saying that, because I knew that's what you were going to say. Like, 
what what was it about the group that allowed you guys to be just so staunch? I mean, you had good players, you had the Olympians and stuff like that, which helps for sure. And you had you as the brick wall in in the back of the net there, but like team dynamics, structure, relentless of of the effort. Like, what was it about that group, that culture? that allowed you guys to just be so, and we're going to get into this obviously in a little bit, but like just so hard to play against and keeping pucks outside of your net. Mm -hmm. I think I can't even call Doug, Doug. I still have to call him coach. It's funny. (laughs) Um, I think he was pretty like, he's, he's a great hockey mind. And I think he was on the, the forefront of playing really aggressively without the puck to win pucks back. Um, like I think about, the style of play that we played and, you know, how we played D zone and, you know, like our D and centers had the Liberty to like have all three in the corner if, if we needed it to just win pucks back really fast and, and transition the other way. And I think of the way that we forecheck, like, and I, I, they don't forecheck like this anymore, but like we would send two off of one defender's back at times, like, like a true two, one, two, just, because of the team speed that we had, like it was insane. Um, some of the, like Jess Campbell, so fast, like Jill Saulnier, so fast, Rebecca Johnson, like maybe the fastest in the world. Like we were just able to play so aggressively without the puck and we were so fit. Like coach would, like we were fit. Like we obviously, you know, trained with coach Hallie and coach would have like Saturday morning conditioning with coach through the spring. And, you know, we joke with him about that now still, but like we, you know, it was old Ivy league rules back then. So, you know, we can only have four people on the ice in those small group sessions for weeks at the beginning of the year. So like we just trained and ran and trained and ran and, you know, coach would be smart guy and would frame it in a way that, you know, it was like, we're training for February and March right now. Like, this is why we're, we're putting the work in and, you know, we're going to be fitter than everybody else and, you know, all that. So I think, you know, between just the sheer level of talent that we had um, mixed with, you know, great leadership, great culture, um, just people that, that really wanted to to dive in and work hard. You know, I think it was a nice, nice combination. And then, you know, we were able to just play such an aggressive style of hockey. That's unreal. And Vex, I want to kind of like, ask you this as it relates to what Maz was just saying because like if you truly want to be hard to play against which is something we're going to talk about a lot like you have to be in great shape you know like if you want to be relentless and stuff and I feel like there's always like a yin and a yang to everything there's a plus a minus a pro to con to every like opinion and every like which way you want to go as it relates to what you're doing I feel like the course correction as it relates to like load management now is going so far the other way where it's like, you're almost afraid to push people too much. But like at the end of the day, like if you want to win a national championship, if we're talking college hockey, or if you want to win a Stanley cup or a championship at the end of the year, like I guarantee you that those teams are probably in the top 5% of most fit, most well-conditioned teams out there. So like you as a strength coach, like what are your thoughts on that? Do you feel like there's a little bit too much of a course correction on load management? And like, how would you as a strength coach kind of like get people to buy into making sure that like conditioning was like the, or one of the most important things that you're doing? Well, first and foremost, when you're, when you're any type of coach, but especially a strength coach and you're pushing people to their limits all the time, like you have to build buy-in first 
first and foremost, you have to build buy-in. If you don't build buy-in, maybe guys get 80% out of your training and, and 80% out of a great program is never going to be as good as a hundred percent out of like a pretty good program. Right. So for me, you have to build buy-in, but this comes down to like mental toughness too. And this is like where some of the sports scientists, I think like, you know, when they go too far into being like, no, we got to give that, we have to give them a day off. Well, it's like, well, what happens if they're tired, you know, 20% of the games and like, yeah, okay. We can get into like, okay, well you can manage their load throughout the whole season, but like stress plays a a factor into that sleeping. You can't control everything in their life. Sometimes players are going to have to play not their 100%. And there is a part of that where you have to learn to be mentally tough and still get the job done when you're tired. I have a ton of pro players that I train that wear a whoop in the summer, but they refuse to wear it during the season because they wake up and they see that they're in the red and they get angry and they're like, well, I still have to play tonight, but it's in the back of their head that like they're in the red Mm -hmm. and you can go back and forth on like, yeah, well then you take that and you try and teach them better, but there's still going to be a ton of times where they're in the red and they still have to get play. They're getting paid to play. So part of, part of that is learning to teach mental toughness and things like that. And to push through fatigue, obviously you've got to do it in a smart way. Like you're not just a donkey and just killing people like CrossFit workouts or something stupid like that. But hey, um, I'm a CrossFitter. Oh God, we got to hang up the call Tove. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we know. I knew we'd have one on sooner or later. Um, but you know, you just, you, you, it's, it's, it is hard finding that sweet spot. Um, but there are times where you got to push your players to, to do things when they're tired, whether that's practice or workouts or whatever, it's just got to be in a smarter way, which I'm not really articulating how you do that. Cause it's pretty tough. Um, but you guys know what I'm saying, right? You've been there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And Maz, just like, you know, you, we had Zach Metz on last week, who was the captain of the men's team at Quinnipiac last year. And he spoke so glowingly of their strength coach, Brajesh Patel, um, who is your strength coach as well. So like, what goes into the planning of that? Like between you guys and, and, and Brajesh, the strength coach, and you obviously have a, a, a style that you want to play. Uh, you have a culture that you want to be and and you have just like this overall outlook of the program of the type of program that you want to be. Um, how do you guys go about kind of building some of that mental toughness? How do you guys go about some, some of that building? We're going to talk about being hard to play against, but like getting that into your identity through the physical and mental toughness that you have to show to be able to play in that certain way. Yeah, I think a lot of it is, communication between Cass, our head coach and coach B like, you know, planning, you know, what's the beginning of the season going to look like, you know, like balancing the load. Like this is how many hours, this is how much time we're going to spend on the ice. And this is what it's going to be like. How do we complement that in the gym? Um, you know, like, so communication between those two, I think is, is step one on that for sure. Um, coach B like what he does with our group between, you know, when the season ends, we, we take a couple of weeks off obviously. Um, and then we jump into, you know, spring training. Um, so what, what B does with them between, you know, April when that spring training starts and, you know, for those that are on campus through the summer leading into the season, like that, that block of time, that April to September, um, with B is obviously physical, like, you know, physical training, but the, the mental piece with that is huge. And our spring workouts, um, 
are really fun to to watch. Uh, our our leader leadership group actually preps the freshmen like they have a full full blown meeting before our first spring training session because the way B runs it, you know, there's we have like you know five racks in the gym, so there's you know a group at each rack and there's, you know, five exercises that are going to be going on at once. And, you know, if I'm on rack one, Jeff, you're on rack two, Tof, you're on rack three. If you guys are in my group, like your tempos are on me. So like, I'm, I'm counting the tempos, but there's like six people around me doing other things. So like, you guys have to be listening to me. We've got to be on each other's, you know, on the same page, you know, we have to, there's a minute between each exercise. So we've got to like, put our crap away, move to the next thing, have all five of us in our group ready to go on that minute. Like B plays a metronome that like they count their tempos to. Um, and the workouts are, are hard. Um, so that first week is, is a grind for the girls physically, obviously, but the, the mental piece of it is huge too. And anytime that, you know, someone is off a tempo or is doing an exercise wrong or, or, you know, doesn't get to to start something on time, you know, it's, it's 10 burpees or five burpees for the whole group at the end. So, you know, there's an accountability piece, um, for yourself to make sure that, you know, you're doing things right. There's an accountability piece for the older girls to make sure that, you know, they've educated the younger ones so that they know, you know, how to, how to do whatever they're doing. And, you know, there's a lot of personal accountability at the end of each workout too. Like, you know, if, you know, B didn't catch me screwing up, but I know I screwed up. I'm going to, you know, say to the group, Hey, we got five more burpees. Cause I, I didn't start my, you know, my tempo pull up on time or whatever it might be. So, you know, and you know, I heard Matt's talking about it too, like, you know, bringing the group in and, you know, for four or five minutes and chatting about a quote that B has up on the TV before that workout gets going. Um, there's, there's big team team pieces like that. And then, you know, he does, we obviously do individual meetings all the time with our girls, but you know, B does them too with, you know, goal setting and, you know, checking in. And like Matt said, like he's a life coach just as much as he is a, a strength coach. And, um, you feel like you, f- you feel what B does for our group. Like it's Matt's was having a hard time explaining it. I think I am too. Like, he's just, you, you know, it when you meet those kind of people that are just so impactful. And you know, I think it says a lot when, you know, it's early August and, the, the men have like four or five pro guys that you know make hand in their home in the summer because they want to train with B um, versus being where, you know, the rest of their pro team might be. Um, he's just, he's, he's got that, that it factor and, you know, the, the players that he works with, work with every day, just love him. Like I've never seen the guy have a bad day. Um, he's just so good at what he does. That's so cool to hear. And it's, I think it's a huge part of it. You, you hit the nail on the head too, is you said that, you know, doesn't matter if you're the leading goal scorer, you're the 13th forward or whatever, 18th forward, however many you guys carry Um, in the gym, everybody's there. And it, it, you know, it doesn't have anything to do with that stuff. You know, nobody's, nobody's in there getting their ice time from the strength coach. Like that's coming from the coach coach and players know that. So there's, there's like a different, relationship there with this with the performance coach off ice coach strength coach that type whatever you you know you want to call them um and when there's trust between both parties and and belief and buy-in uh i think it can be i think it can be massively massively powerful and it obviously seems that what you guys have there uh is is obviously working really well it's been really cool to be on these last two podcasts just hearing about this guy and what he does and i'd obviously heard about him before and and how great he is but from hearing two firsthand sources um 
it's amazing. And I, I, I've seen firsthand, you know, on all throughout my whole career, pro college juniors before that, like the massive impact somebody that's this good can have on a team organization, individual, whatever it is. And, uh, it's really cool. I hope this guy writes a book or something. (laughs) Right. How spoiled are you to be able to have him and coach Holly? I know. Right. Yes. Like two just absolute legends. (laughs) <laughs> I like it. Well, let's get to uh, the meat of the podcast here, Maz, because, you know, it, it was really awesome. Like I love getting back and forth from people after certain podcasts and spe- specifically after like some of the hockey podcasts that we do that are more hockey specific. And so Maz, you, you reached out to me after we did our um, hard to play against episode, which was, I don't know, maybe two months ago. I want to say something like that. I actually looked it up. It is episode 260 for those of you who want to go back and listen to it. So um, go to episode 260 if you want to listen to that. Um, But I'm really, really, really excited to learn from you here today because one of the things that you talked about was this is something that you guys take a lot of pride in, in, in being hard to play against. And you have certain things that you do as a coaching staff. You have certain things that are important to you guys as a program that can help you to probably number one, define what that means. Like what does being hard to play against mean? And then how do you kind of like, um, make metrics out of it? And, and so I'm just like, I want to almost like put the ball in your court here and let you lead the discussion because like, if that's something that you guys believe so heavily in, I can't wait to hear about just like how you guys go about your process of teaching that to your players and quantifying that however you do. So, um, first, I guess the first question I have for you is just like, you know, for you and your staff and your program, what does being hard to play against mean? Like at the end of the day, if you had to really summarize it and somebody came up and asked you that specific question, like what would, what would Quinnipiac hockey say? I think, you know, we want to be disruptive. Like we want to be a team that other teams hate to play against. Um, You know, we want to be a team where, you know, someone comes into our rink and, they just know execution is going to be difficult today. Um, And I think, yeah, like I think, you know, the first thing I think of when I think of being hard to play against is us having the puck. Like we play hard to play against because we want the puck, not because we want to be gritty and block shots and, you know, defend, defend, defend. Like, I think, you know, we have a bit of a reputation for, for playing that way, but the the purpose is so that we can have the puck and we can go play offense. Um, you know, we're we're not naive. We know that everybody wants the puck and and wants to play. You know, the the fun part of the game. But I guess the the challenge is, you know, how do we make playing without the puck fun and and something that we could be really good at um, so that we can have the puck more. And I think you know, a big piece for us is um, what we do with our sticks and how we how we close space and and just take away time and space um all over the ice so that we can transition and go the other way um and we've we've got a pretty good you know buy-in from our group and you know it always starts with with the older players and you know the younger ones learn over time and you know i think when you you come from youth hockey and you jump into college hockey you know you have the puck so much less than than you did um as a youth hockey player especially you know when you're coming from being one of the best on your team. And then, you know, you jump into college hockey and college hockey's hard. Um, So, you know, with those young and new players, it's, it's helping them, you know, accelerate the learning curve so that they can learn to, to play our way so that, you know, they get what they want at the end of the day, which is the puck. Um, You know, I think, 
when I think of how we play hard to play against, um, you know, I think we're pretty detailed with, you know, our forecheck, um, neutral zone and, and offensive zone and, you know, same, same with how we, we try and win pucks back, um, in our D zone, we get into the nitty gritty of like defending with a, with a good stick and, you know, going blade on blade and, you know, guiding with your other hand and, you know, trying to understand putting, putting someone with the puck where you want them to be like manipulating them, you know, making them feel like they have an out and then knowing that's where you're going to, you know, take, take them away and, and close off space and, and win puck battles. And, you know, I think there's, there's so, so many pieces of it. I, I don't even know where to start really. Like, I guess, you know, well, let's, let's break it down <laughs> a little bit here. So let's, let's talk about, I think when you talk about being hard to play against, there's a structure side of it and then there's a habit side of it. And like, you obviously got to have both. You have to have good structure. So people are on the same page, which is terrible to play against when you're playing against (laughs) a team that just, yeah, you can't execute because they're always where they're supposed to be. Um, But then there's like the other side of it. You talked about the habits of you guys are really big on stick pressure, having your stick down blade on blade, I think is the the term that you used. So like in your guys' coaching and what you guys are emphasizing, how do you guys balance the two? Is one more important than the other? Um, Like take me through your guys' process of like teaching those and how important each of those are. I think we've like our philosophy might've shifted, I would say in the last like four or five years from being super structure or systems focused. Um, and now shifting that to obviously having a structure and a style of play, but really just diving into to the habits piece. Like, you know, I think women's hockey is evolving so quickly. Like I think you used to be able to get away with just having a really good structure, but now like, the habits piece is huge. The quality of players, the quality of skaters, you know, the strength, the physicality, like if you don't have those, but you know, everybody understands I'm X here and then I go to here and then I go to here, like you're, you're going to get exploited. So I think it's, it's definitely like, that's the art of it, right? Like there's a balance of, of both of those things. And, you know, Cass, our head coach is, does such a nice job of having a full vision of what our, you know, she likes practices more than she would ever like games. And, and it's kind of funny actually, but the amount of prep and planning that goes into a week of practice, a month of practice, like the habits that we want to work on, like, you know, we'll, we'll have a, a Google doc spreadsheet for the whole season and, you know, three winning habits that we want to hone in on for each week. And, you know, what goes into those is a balance of where we're at in the season and and what we've taught so far and also, you know, who we might be playing on the weekend and and some key pieces that we're going to need. But, um, you know, we we're huge on habits. Um, like we'll, you know, put those three winning habits on the board at the beginning of each week. So that the team knows, you know, what the, what the keys are for us to focus on this week. Um, and we use a ton of video to teach some of that stuff too. Um, you know, short, concise video sessions that are, you know, purposeful and that have um, a theme and, or, you know, are, are easy for the girls to to watch nothing, you know, super long and painful. Um, but the, the habits has, I think if, if you've got good habits, it makes up for, you know, blips in the system or, or moments where, you know, someone forgets or, or, you know, doesn't make the right read as F3, but, you know, has a great stick to the middle to compensate for it because, you know, we're, we're huge on sticks to the middle and toe caps back toward our, our net or something like that. So I think, you know, if you give them 
confidence in, and they understand why the habits matter so much. Um, you know, I think it can compensate for those moments where, you know, the structure might fall apart. So how do you do that? How do you get them to buy into that? I think the, like our, our hard to play against stats are a huge piece of that. Um, you know, we joke that coaching is like the movie inception at times, like, you know, the, the buy-in that you get when someone thinks it's their idea is so much better than, you know, the buy-in that you get when you tell them that's what they have to do. So um, true though. So- it's so, no, like it's actually like a big thing. That's so true. hundred percent. Yeah. The psychology of it is crazy. Um, but I think, you know, we create tangible stats that are more than goals and assists. Like they're tangible things that, as a player on the team, regardless of your role, you know they're important because we show them in video all the time. We stat them after every game. Um, so you know as a player, like these are things that I know are important to our team and that if I do them, it's only going to benefit the team and me, um, regardless of if I'm scoring 40 points or if I'm jumping on the ice as a, a fourth-line winger. But I know that we track good sticks on the forecheck in the neutral zone and the offensive zone. So if I'm – out there, my sticks on the ice, I'm leading with my stick. I'm disrupting plays. Like that's a thing that's getting statted by the coaches. It's going in a video package. I'm going to see it after the game. Like that's a, a tangible way where I, as a player know, like I'm doing something good. I'm contributing. It's not just a goal or an assist or whatever it might be. Um, sorry, Tofi, you look like you have a question. Oh, I'm just, yeah, no, I'm good. I'm just listening, but I do have I, maybe a follow-up to this. So you said you like, you track stats. Is that something? Cause we would talk about this in the coaches room all the time. Like, is that something you post? So it's like, cause we would always go back and forth because like, if you post certain stats, like some guys, some guys are not going to feel very good when they go up and, and they see it. Um, and everybody's obviously different. Some people would pout when they see that. Some people would be like, man, I got to get my ass in gear kind of thing. Um, but like, is that when you, when you talk about stats like that, is that something that's public knowledge that you'll post in the locker room? Or is that just something for your coaching staff to like, kind of go to the girls one-on-one and say, Hey, you don't have any stick kills here or Hey, this habit that we preach, you know, um, you know, you didn't have any in the last three, four, whatever it may be like, uh, Mm -hmm. is that public or is that something just kind of individual? I think, um, so when we send out our, our stats, none of them are like, you know, I can, I have them, this goes out in an email after, Oh, I'm blurry. This goes out in an email after every game. But, um, I think, you know, we, praise publicly and then things that need to be better is usually like a a one-on-one video session for the most part. But like when I say we stat good sticks, like we're giving the team at the end of the game, like we have a goal 25 or more good sticks and we're giving them a number. Like, you know, we hit 27 and then in the video package afterward, they'll see all the positive, like all, all of the actual good sticks we had. So, you know, if you played 20 minutes that night and you don't have one video clip of yourself, with a good stick and, you know, someone that played way less than you has six, like that's a, a less harsh way than, you know, your name being on the board and saying you missed six good sticks or whatever it might be. So I guess that's kind of how we go about sharing the stats. Like it's, it's all good stuff. Um, I guess the only ones that it wouldn't be so flattering, you know, one of our defensive stats, you know, is limit second shots against. So we want two or less second shots. Um, against us a game so you know if one of them results you know you're gonna see those second shots that were against us in the video package so i guess that's a 
a negative or a knock, but it is what it is. Like everybody's rewatching the game. So everybody's going to see that stuff regardless. Um, so yeah, I guess, you know, that's where they're seeing it. That's awesome. Well, let's dive into that one right there. Second shots. So second chance, second shots. I'm assuming that's kind of like second chance opportunities. Goalie makes the first save. They yep. can't get another shot after that. So what goes into number one? Like, why do you feel like that is important? And then number two, like, what are some things that you guys do as a coaching staff, maybe in practice, um, maybe drill design, or what are certain things that you guys do to make sure that you're limiting those things during the game? Yeah, second shots, we just find, you know, we score so many second shot goals. So I guess the flip side of that is, you know, we want to eliminate them um, against us. <laughs> so from a goaltender's perspective, like, the trust when you know that you have D in front of you that are going to do a nice job when a shot's taken to not pivot, stare at you and fish for the puck. Um, you know, they're going to, you know, oh, I'm sure you face love the, that as a goalie, <laughs> right? They're going to, you know, face the play, like on a two on one, they're going to take the backside turn and lift that stick. Like when you have that faith, you can play so much more confidently as a goaltender. Um, and when you know that, the habit's been taught that your D are going to lift sticks, not fish for pucks. Like you have the confidence to just find the rebound and cover it versus being worried about what else might be going on around you. Um, so I guess how we, how we work on that and, and how we emphasize that um, we're huge on keeping track of points in practice. Um, so like outside of small games, obviously, but within drills, we'll, you know, when, when we're up at the board explaining a drill, like we'll give the the point structure for, for whatever that drill may be. So if it's like, if we're doing something simple, like a two on one, you know, you're going to get a point for your, we've split blue and gold. We don't put D in their own color. We, we like to have just a straight up way to compete. So our jerseys are blue and gold. And if we're doing a, a two on one, maybe you get one point for a goal. And if you score a second shot goal, it's two points. Like it's, it's got added value in the game. Or if we're doing a D zone drill and um, you go for a whole D zone shift and there's no shots against, like you get a point as, as the defensive team. Um, so we use points as, as a way to emphasize that stuff for sure. Um, in terms of like how we teach it, you know, we, we talk so much about, in the D zone, like with the D in the centers, like boxing out before, like boxing out early, like sting them in the corner, puck goes to the point, like sting your man in the corner, start your box out right away, um, keep them outside the posts. And then, you know, if they happen to get, if they do a nice job and they, they get in that front or you were out of position, like, you know, then we're fronting, but with contact and, you know, we want to front with contact so that when shots come through, like we can turn and lift the stick right away. Like we're not six feet from someone. Um, and same thing with boxing out. Like, you know, we teach boxing out under control, not getting super tied up, seeing the release when the shot's taken so that, you know, you can time your stick lift. Like guys are guys and girls are crafty, like with, you know, their ability to tip and, and create rebounds. So we really dive in, like we're crazy with some details. Like we lift in the bottom third of the stick. Like you're not up near hands. Like, you know, you're strong on your stick. You're, you're, you're lifting that stick and then seeing like using your eyes to then find the puck and, you know, keep your man away from it and then be first to pucks in the corner. Like there's a lot of detail that goes into that stuff. Your guys' battles in practice must be so intense with these details you focus on. Like, yeah, it's fun. These are the details you focus on. I'm just imagining, like, coming out of the corner as a forward and just getting murderalized every time you go to the net. Everybody's lifting sticks. That's got to be a fun ass practice to battle in. I love it. Vex, did you if just you say like to compete, murderalized? Yes. 
Yeah, it's uh, it's from Three Ninjas. Come on, bro, get with it. Oh, what a movie! Yeah, Tom Tom, <laughs> throwback. Oh, that does sound like fun though, for sure. Like any practice that where it's like a battle day, even if it's like a disciplinary battle day, you know, like everybody always at the end of it is like feeling better about themselves and the team and everything like that just when you have the ability to compete um there's there's nothing better so like as you as it kind of like we talk more about the stuff like what are maybe some of the other things that you guys are quantifying what are some of the other little habits some of the other little details you know that you guys track throughout a game that helps you to be tough to play against yeah so our other defensive ones so um you know we had the good sticks that we track um we track neutral zone stops. Um, so back check tracking, it's got a million names. Um, but our goal is to like disrupt and, and essentially stop their rush by, we kind of use top of the circles, the top of the circles. Um, we've like extended the neutral zone, I guess, um, as the, the space where we're looking for those stops. Um, but that's one thing we stop, we track, we track, sorry, um, the limiting second shots against, and then, our last defensive um, hard to play against stat is just um, D zone seven second transition. So 23 or more times a game, we want to be, when we win a puck back in our D zone, we want to be out within seven seconds from winning that puck. Um, so those are the defensive ones. Offensively, uh, we want even strength, nine or more shots from our D. Um, we we stat three, three, we call it being three quick, like just that first three steps um, in transition. So creating chances, you know, within five seconds from an offensive zone turnover, seven seconds from a neutral zone turnover, nine seconds from a D zone turnover. So we want 26 or more of those um, a game. Um, Second shots and shots with good screens on the offensive side of things. We want 10 or more of those combined. Um, We throw those two together because depending on who you're playing, like sometimes it's, easy to get to the net and screen other times it's not some teams are great at lifting sticks you know denying second shot opportunities so by combining the two um we just you know that's one way we've we've kind of gotten around that and and like to have those two together and then um the last one that's that's big with offensive stats is just even strength possession time so we've found that if if we have the puck 52 percent of the time or more um we're winning games for sure um and then ozone or just like um just even strength possession gotcha okay anywhere yep Um, and then we, we always want to win the race to three. Um, that's a big win factor for us. And then special teams game. What does that mean? Win the race to three, like first three goals. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. And what was the last one? Sorry. Um, just winning a special teams game, um, percentage wise, like hundred percent or better. So if we don't give up any PK goals, we score properly goal. That's, that's a win in the special teams game. It's, it's so important. I forget what it was. We tracked that this year with our team. And like when we won the special teams battle, our record was, I don't even know, maybe undefeated, but close to it. And when we didn't, we were like totally defeated <laughs> or not totally, <laughs> but like it, it was very stark, very stark. Um, yeah. So I, I, I want to ask you just hearing some of the things that you guys track and, and like you can almost like learn about what the identity of your team is. And I have to imagine with this stuff, that transition is very, very important for you guys, you know, talking Mm -hmm. about getting scoring opportunities within three, five, seven, nine seconds of turnovers and different zones and things like that. So um, do you guys see almost like from an offensive standpoint, like being hard to play against as being really good and fast in transition too? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, the feeling on the flip side, right? Like the feeling of, 
breaking the puck out, turning it over and, and that, you know, scrambly five, five, six seconds. Like we're just trying to take advantage of, of those moments and catch teams when they're unsettled. Oh, so hard to play against. I mean, I remember, you know, playing against the men at Quinnipiac when I was at Cornell and coaching against them, it was like the amount of breakaways they got from like their F1 having a lot of pressure in the neutral zone. And then we turn it over and it was like, whoop, right up to F1 breakaway or two on one or something like that. It's just like beating your head against the wall. Cause they were so freaking good at it. <laughs> oh God. Um, anyway, so as, as we're talking about all these different things and, and things that you guys are tracking, one thing that you talked about that I want to dive a little bit more into. Um, actually there's two of them, but the first one is you talked about wanting to have nine shots from the point. Uh, that go on net per game. What's the thought process behind that? Um, and cause I, I guess like there is a lot of low to high that happens because people are trying to, you know, pressure quickly down low, um, outnumber, get pucks away. So the, 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 the ice up top is a little bit more open, but also there's a lot more, you know, defensemen are getting up in, in the offensive zone and they're, you know, maybe even below the goal line, carrying the puck and things like that. You know, what's your guys's, um, thought process on making that a goal of yours and being hard to play against from an offensive standpoint? Yeah. Um, and sorry, I'll clarify it, was, it. The shots can be from anywhere. It doesn't have to be just from the point. Oh, um, okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. That just makes from so our okay. defensemen. Um, it. yeah, it doesn't have to be from the point. And the purpose is just to, you know, get our D involved. Um, we want to attack with five and, you know, we don't care if our D is leading the rush or F2 net drive. Like we, you know, we want our D involved. And I think we do a nice job with our forwards in, you know, teaching them, good habits and you know how to be a good f3 and and how to be interchangeable so that it, it gives our d the green light to to join got it okay that makes a lot of sense that's awesome um nine so nine shots from the d per game you guys get that a lot is that a stat that you guys get quite it's a bit? one that no like i think that's probably i don't have our spreadsheet of the whole season um but it's definitely one of the harder ones like you know we have a lot of d that play on the power play so if power play shots were in there i think it would be a lot easier um, and a lot higher, but it is, it is probably one of the harder offensive ones for us to, to hit, which gotcha. seems crazy. Like when you ask a D how many shots they want to get a game, like each day, three shots and you got 60, like there's a lot of shots, but it's, <laughs> it's hard to actually get them through, get them on net. Um, make them count. Makes sense. Makes sense for sure. Okay. The the other one that I wanted to ask you about, and you're obviously a goalie and we have goalies that listen to this, but I found it really interesting when you were talking about, um, you know, the confidence that you have as a goalie, when you have players in front of you that know how to box out, know when to box out, care about boxing out and aren't going to be just staring at the puck when the, when the puck comes back and they're actually taking people. So, you know, I feel like it's, it's, um, it's a habit that's hard to teach. It's really easy really to puck watch. Like puck watching is like the easiest thing in hockey to do, right? So, um, you know, just talk a little bit about from like a goalie's perspective and a goalie standpoint, how the confidence you get from the people playing in front of you and doing these little details and habits around you um, can just really lead to you playing better um, as, as a goaltender. It's huge. Um, I mean, I don't like ever giving goalies excuses for why pucks go in the net, but generally like if you can see the puck, you have a much better chance of stopping it, obviously. Um, yeah. And you know, there's, there's ways to fight around screens and, you know, 
read the see the release and find your way through the screen and find pucks on the other side like you know we we teach all of those things but generally if you can see the release like you've got a pretty good shot of of making saves and um if you've got defensemen that understand how to keep people out of your sight line um i think it's just so important and then you know if they if you're not going to you're not going to box out every time. Like there's people are going to fall down. You're going to lose your man. Someone's going to beat you to the front of the net. I think the next piece is not just having a black and white rule. Like, you know, we box out. Well, that's great. What are you going to do when you screwed up and you can't box out? Um, so that next piece of not being a double screen, like, you know, the, the art of it, like, can I move that person, but can I move that person while I still see what's going on in the play? And when I see that that shot's going to come soon, like, not being super tangled up with them, not being a double screen in front of your goalie, finding a way to front, try and block that shot, but still be close so that I can still lift the stick. When pucks get through, like all of those little nuances are hard. Like they're hard to teach. It's hard to recreate in practice. Um, We'll use video a lot to teach that stuff, but the better you can, you can get at that. I think the easier you make your goalie's life for sure. That's awesome. There's no yeah, doubt about yeah. that. I just, every goalie I played with would be just like losing their mind on, on those little details, you know, and it's just like, get a stick. Like, what are you doing? Just get a stick and let me play here. Or just like, you know, the best goalies who are the most aggressive, you know, I have a couple teammates I can think come to mind. Just they played so much more aggressive and they were so much better when they trusted the decor obviously everybody, but especially the decor, just like around the net in that like five foot um, circumference diameter, whatever you guys are, the <laughs> Ivy leaguers here, you know what I'm saying? The circle with the line through it, uh, whatever Not a that square. is. Not a square. <laughs> it's like a circle, right? Uh, uh, you know, they're just able to like take away angles so much harder by moving out two feet, which seems like nothing. Uh, uh, to a layman, but like that angle that the puck sees when they're able to come out that extra two feet because they're not worried about somebody getting a stick on the back door and tapping it in, it completely yeah. changes how well your goalie can play the position. And then on top of that, like you're saying, you know, not getting the rebounds. And then offensively, it's the opposite way. You know, you think about, okay, well, that's what we're doing. If that's not happening, well, we can exploit that and attack that. And uh, this like the game within the game within the game. I love it. <laughs> the game within totally. the game within the game. There we and go. There's probably a couple more of those in there too. I don't know. Somewhere. <laughs> Maz, we did a drill this year. Ras, Rob Rassi, one of the coaches here in Michigan, he he brought it and I loved it. And it had like, I'm gonna do my best to try to explain it without a whiteboard <laughs> in a, in a podcast <laughs> setting. But it was really good when it relates to like early box outs and like transition when you get pucks and trying to attack. So basically, so you had it was in one zone and you had one net at the crease where it's supposed to be. And then you had one net on one of the hash marks by the wall. Right. And so it's like facing the middle of the ice. Then you had one group of players that was like out by the blue line, kind of like in the middle at one of the persons, one of the people was a defenseman who would be shooting the puck on the net. That's like there. And then you'd have another group of players with a defenseman kind of like at the dot similar mm-hmm. to where they would be at the blue line where the net was, but just they're shooting on the net that's on the, the sidewall. So I'm trying to paint a picture of what it kind of looks like. So it's basically yeah. a two on two with, but each team has like a defender that shoots the puck. 
So let's say white is shooting on the net that is in the crease and you have blue that's shooting on the net that's at the wall. So, you know, the coach would dump a puck in, whoever would get possession would have to pass the puck to their defenseman. And then they would try to get to the net and the other team would try to box them out. As soon as the other team got possession, now they had to pass it to their defenseman and it switched. So now the team that was on offense, they're trying to box out and the other team's trying to get to the front of the net. And it just, it taught exactly what you're talking about. Like, it's really like box out early, pick up sticks. And there wasn't really anybody that was there to block a shot. So like the puck was coming. So there were going to be second chance opportunities. There were going to be, you know, a a battle around the net. And it was just such a good drill to teach that mentality, like just offensively too, like get to the net, beat your defenseman to the net, get low, play low, win those second chance opportunities. And then defensively picking up sticks, boxing out early. It was just an awesome drill that Rass had that like we, we did quite a bit. And then what we did too, is we actually put, a third forward or a third offensive player behind the net. So now that person, if the puck got shot wide, they can retrieve it and then attack right away. Um, You know, or you can release it behind the net and use that person. And that, that guy could actually come up and screen the goalie too. So you can almost make it like a three on two in front of the net. It was just an awesome drill. Um, And I don't know if like you've, you guys have seen that one, but it just, it hits on all the things that we're talking about right now. Never seen it with that configuration with the nets there. That's cool. Yeah, it was. Yeah, when he first showed it, I was like, "Damn, this is." You know, you know, you know when you like see a drill and you're like, "Yep, this is going in my playbook. I'm going <laughs> to yeah. be using this a lot moving forward." Absolutely. That was um, that was definitely one of them. So, um, well, Gags, the last thing I have for you. So we talked a lot about like what it means to to be hard to play against. We talked about the different things that like you know, different stats that, that you guys track and different ways that you go about it. But like at the end of the day, all of these things mean for not, we talked a little bit about it, but like, I really want to dive into this. Like all of these things mean nothing if there's not a buy into this way of playing, because this way of playing is difficult. Like it's, it's difficult because you have to be relentless. It's difficult because you have to be bought into the structure that you guys are doing. It's difficult because when you want to play relentless, like it, it takes a a level of tenacity and it takes a level of commitment that goes above and beyond what you've probably been (laughs) asked to to do before. So like, Mm -hmm. particularly even with like your freshmen that are coming in or some of your younger players, like how do you guys get these women to buy into playing this certain way? what is it that you guys do as a group, maybe as a player leadership group to, to really get everybody to be on the same page and really believe in, in this way of playing? Yeah. I think one of the coolest things about college hockey is the older players. Like you, you've got like many coaches in those older players and especially with the fifth years, I think they approach their approach as a fifth year is so different because it's a year they never thought they were going to have. Um, so their perspective is just so great. Um, and they're just so mature at that point. Um, so I think we do a nice job using our older players, um, whether it's in like small group sessions at the beginning of the year on the ice, or even like chalk talk type situations off the ice, um, having those players, lead um lead their teammates and and teach and talk um so i think that's that's a huge piece um we we do a lot in terms of like preparation and almost like hockey homework um we have these cool we call them practice and preparation journals 
PB and J's, PP and J's. Um, yes. <laughs> each each player has, and it, they've gotten kind of hefty over the years. It's like a solid a solid book. Um, but within that book, um, you know, you have each week of practice, like you have, you know, a whiteboard for the day. Like if there's something that you know is is an important skill that you're working on, like maybe you're gonna write down the drills that we didn't practice that that actually keyed in on whatever that thing may be um there's like a reflection piece for after every practice and after games um oh no i'm losing airpods can you guys still hear me yeah okay yeah perfect we got you um so within these journals there's like so many places for our girls to to write and reflect um so we ask them like they bring them to every video session there's like a, a section in the book to take notes during video um you know we we never have a room where girls are just watching video and then they leave. Like there's always notes being taken. Um, same thing with our pregame meetings. Um, we give out game keys before the game. We send them out the night before and you know the girls bring them in and they're writing on them during, during pregame video. And um, we do a lot of, of writing and learning and video. Um, so it gives them the opportunity to, to not just sit and try and absorb information to take it and actually write it down or teach a teammate. Um, like before, before games, our, our group will sit in, like they'll eat their meal with their line mates or the D will eat their meal together. And like, they'll draw out their face off plays. Like they'll draw their responsibilities on a win, on a loss. Um, so everybody knows, like it's a, a way to hold people accountable and, and to get everyone on the same page. And I think when you come in as a freshman and you, you're sitting with a senior that you're on a line with and they know their responsibility and they know what you're supposed to do on a win and a loss. You're like, well, shit, I better figure it out and know what, what my responsibilities are. Um, so we're definitely detailed when it comes to that stuff. Um, and it, it just becomes, I think there's always a little bit of, of hesitation maybe or pushback when it's something new and it feels overwhelming and it feels like a lot, but I think, as you work your way through a season and and you start to feel how much more prepared you are on the ice when you're then in the moment and you've, you've done that work ahead of time, I think it almost becomes addicting. Like, you know, some of our older girls are like, you know, when's scout video this week? Like, I need to know what Clarkson's power play looks like. Like, you know, when are, when are we, when are we getting that info? Like, you know, I think it becomes so empowering that um, it just becomes a nice, nice add to your game. That's unreal. That's so cool. Yeah. Love that, love that they they're, they're like craving it, you know. But it's so true. Mm-hmm. Like if you're not preparing, you're preparing to fail. And so, just you know, I don't know how you guys, if you guys do any like uh, visualization or anything like that. But it's it's very similar to like you know watching that scout PP, just kind of knowing their tendencies. You can kind of try and beat it in your mind beforehand, and it doesn't mean you're going to see the exact same thing you're just more prepared for what's coming at you. And if you've rehearsed it in your mind a couple of times, practice it on the ice a couple of times, you're just going to be like more ready to, to beat in, you know, beat their chess game with your chess game. Right. And I do right. like, like all the studies show, cause I've looked into this. Like if you write something down, like the ability that you have to actually retain that information goes up. I don't know what the percentage is, but like a billion, I think is the percentage. What did you say? A fulfillion? I think it's a fulfillion. It's, <laughs> it's more than a billion. So were it's you, were you, part of my um, life. were you around for Kyle Dake at Cornell? The uh, as a coach, I was, yeah. So he, there was a documentary on him, which was really cool. Um, really? But he, I know. so Jeff, he won, 
the national championship in wrestling every year in his four years and in a different weight class each year. So he went up a weight class every year and won the wow. national championship every year. And he talked about, yeah. he's an animal. Yeah. <laughs> and the nicest about, dude ever. Uh, right. Yeah. He talked about how he would journal and like, I think his freshman year he wrote, like when he got up in the morning, he wrote like Kyle Dake, 140 pound national champion, whatever. Like, I don't know the wrestling terms. And then at the end of the day, he'd write it at the bottom of his, his journal page. And then his sophomore year, he'd write it twice at the top and twice at the bottom and, and so on and so forth. And it's like what you were just saying there, Toph, like the power of, of writing something down or Jeff, you were saying it, I think in, in Metz's podcast, like the, the putting yourself out there and like verbalizing, Hey, I'm going to do this. Um, I think goes, goes such a long way. And like we, I think one of the other areas where we do a nice job with, with player development and, and the, the inception pieces, um, each of our girls has a personal success plan and it's like a Google sheet document that, is theirs. Um, we have access, like we can, I can look at everybody's, but I can't edit it. Um, it's, it's each players and there's four sections and there's an on ice skills. There's an off ice strength and conditioning. There's a hard to play against and there's a mental, um, like mental toughness or mental skills section. And they kind of come up with two or three pieces in each of those four areas that they want to, you know, work on like goals, like, you know, the gym ones are all always, a little bit easier to set because it's so tangible. Um, but like, you know, on ice skills, maybe it's, you know, I want to get great at one tease from the top of the circle because it's my power play spot. And, you know, even that, the way I just verbalized it is not a good, a good way of, of writing it. Like it needs to be, I'm going to take 50 shots a day from this spot on Tuesdays and Thursdays after practice, like super, super specific and, and detailed. But the, the point of it is it's, it's theirs and it's their development and they come up with the things that, that they want to be better at. Um, and they'll actually rate themselves each month. Um, they'll like color coat each one of their goals, red, green, or blue or red, green, or yellow, um, green. If it's something that they worked on super hard that month, they had a plan, they executed, they, they crushed this. Like it was awesome. Yellow. I, I worked on it a bit. Um, could have been better. Red maybe this was a goal I wasn't working on this month. Like maybe uh, lengthening my stride was, was a goal and you know, it's February and we're in the playoffs. So I'm not going to put too much time into that. So I'm going to, you know, make it red. Um, but they do that each month. And then over the course of a season, you've got, you know, 12 different goals in four different areas that, um, and you, you have your progress and, and how you evaluated yourself, which is really cool. And then us as coaches can, you know, we meet with them about it. And especially with the freshmen, because they have a harder time setting the goals or, or knowing what's, what, what are the certain things that they should be working on. But by the time you get a, a junior or a senior, like they know the parts of their game that needs to be, need to be better. And they identify it and they put it into their plan. So it's not us telling them what they need to do. Um, so the, the buy-in at that point is just so much better. And then, you know, you leave after four years with four of these spreadsheets with everything you've worked on over four years. It's kind of cool. That is disgusting. That is, one of the <laughs> co- that is one of the coolest things I've heard. Tof, what episode is this? 200 billion? What is What episode is this? 290? <laughs> no, it's- I can take zero credit for this. This is all, all cast. Dude, She's a rock that star. Is- that is one of the coolest things I've ever heard on this podcast or in sports in general, just that you guys as coaches can see it. They know that you can see it, right? Yeah. They know you can see it, the color coded grading, like making them do it. 
every month and then reflect on it and all of these things like everybody like this stuff is so massively powerful like this is like life-changing this is how you get to be successful at anything i don't care yeah. what you're trying to get better at or you're trying to be the best at like this is how you do it if you can go there in your mind you can go there in your body but if you can't go there in your mind you will not go there in your body like no doubt about it especially when we're talking about improving something like this is so that is so dialed that is so dope i hope you guys literally pause this and rewind two minutes five minutes whatever it is seriously and listen to that over and over and over i'm stealing that i'm going to use that with my guys next summer in the gym like that is so next level that's so cool yeah this is maz this has been awesome like one of our goals with this podcast is to be able to provide information so people can use this in their lives you know whether they're a coach whether they're a player parent whatever it may be and so i think we did my airpods go and my husband's I heard somebody say something and I was like, God? I know, it's like, who is, is that, that God saying talk more about how cool this thing is? I know, seriously, right? Um, but Matt's like this, that's legit stuff. Like I'm sitting here, you know, like I got better today, you know, like I got better today. And, and uh, this, this was awesome. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm really glad you reached out because I was, I was really intrigued to kind of hear you know, kind of like your process and what you guys do, especially as it relates to like the being hard to play against, but like just a lot of these nuggets that you guys do. I mean, it's something that everybody at every level can, can use with their teams to, to help not only individuals get better, but to help their team get better as well. So, um, massive, massive thank you for, for coming on here today. Um, I can't believe like couldn't be back my rival, when I was at Cornell and then the team that freaking bounced us from the frozen four this year, I can't believe two weeks in a row we've, we've done Quinnipiac Bobcats <laughs> podcast, but <laughs> that's okay. Because uh, I think, you know, between Metzl last week and then well, everything that's like, this was awesome. Matt. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me guys. That was fun. Absolutely. We'll just rename it the Quinnipiac think tank for Toe. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> love it. The Andy Meyer think tank, eh? <laughs> Ooh, God, I love that man. All right, thanks, guys.